Um, and we're starting uh, this afternoon a new series um, called The Search for Meaning in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we're going to be seeing what God's wisdom in that book um, says, uh, has to say to us today, uh, wherever we're coming from. And today, uh, we're thinking about the search for meaning when nothing lasts. The search for meaning when nothing lasts. Well, let me pray for us before we get started. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are with us by the power of your Spirit. Thank you that you speak to us today through your word, the Bible. Father, would you take uh, my words and make them yours? And would you open all of our ears and hearts to receive what you have to say to us this afternoon? Amen. Distracted from distraction by distraction, filled with fancies and empty of meaning, tumid apathy with no concentration, Men and bits of paper whirled by the cold wind that blows before and after time. The poet T.S. Eliot wrote those lines 80 years ago now, but I think they're perhaps more relevant um, than ever. Our world is filled with fancies. Whatever we want to eat, whatever we want to watch, available to us at the touch of a button, yet so often it can feel empty of meaning. Like amidst all the fluff, nothing really matters, nothing really has any weight. Men and and bits of paper whirled by the cold wind. Well, we've replaced bits of paper with glowing screens that call to us in the darkness. I wonder, is there anything more meaningless than scrolling through social media? I don't know what your poison of choices, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or Facebook or Twitter, but that sense where you're scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling for nothing in particular, just on the hope that you're going to get to something that will capture your attention long enough to drive the boredom away, distracted by distraction from distraction. And I wonder, actually, if it ever feels like you're living your life as one long scroll. Scrolling through hours, past mornings and afternoons, through weekends and holidays, past summers and winters, waiting, hoping, longing for something to make sense of it all, something that would make it worthwhile. The author and speaker, Andrew Fellows, says that our moment is one of a colossal meaning deficit. People simply don't have enough meaning for their lives to flourish. People simply don't have enough meaning for their lives to flourish. I think he's right. If if in the words of the philosopher Chantal Delsol, meaning is the salt of existence, I think we all know what it is to find life a bit tasteless a bit bland, a bit flat, a bit meh. We're into our moment, this moment, into that search for meaning. God speaks through his words in the book of Ecclesiastes. And as we'll see, he reveals to us how we can live satisfying and meaningful lives in this world. But that's not where he begins. 
Instead, the opening words of the book of Ecclesiastes sound the death knell to all human efforts to create meaning for ourselves. Look with me at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 2, page 670. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Uh, That word that's translated meaningless uh, literally in the Hebrew means uh, smoke or vapor or breath. Imagine that the smoke rising from a, a fire, curling and twisting, shifting every moment, impossible to grasp, impossible to build on. That's the picture God gives us for everything in this world, everything under the sun. And so as human beings, we can only build sandcastles. We can only build sandcastles. Here today, gone tomorrow. We can only build sandcastles. Chapter chapter 1, verse 3. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? That's the question that, that God poses to each one of us this afternoon through that book, through this book. What do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? As we toil day by day to get something out of life, as we work to build something meaningful, something worthwhile, where does that actually get us? What does that actually achieve? Verse 4, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. Verse 11, no one remembers the former generations, and even those yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow them. We can post as much of our lives as we want to social media, but creating a a digital record of ourselves does not mean that we will be remembered in 100 or 200 years' time. Will you or I be truly remembered in 200 years' time? Not not remembered as as a name, on a family tree, perhaps. Not even if we're really lucky remembered for one or two things that we managed to do in our life, but, but remembered as a person by others. The reality is that generations come and generations go and slip out of memory and the world just carries on. The sun rises and the sun sets. The wind blows to the south and the wind blows to the north. The streams flow into the sea, and the sea is never full. And we can only build sandcastles. All human labor, all human effort, all human endeavor can only build sandcastles. It might be beautiful in its time, impressive even. But the tide comes in, the tide goes out, it's gone. We can only build sandcastles. Um, If you've ever um, rented somewhere privately, and come to the end of the tenancy, you'll know how it works. If you want your deposit back, and I mean your full deposit, you've got a single-minded single aim, which is to leave that flat as if you'd never lived there. That's the goal. That's what you've got to hit, right? To leave absolutely no trace, no reminder of early morning rushed coffees, nothing that points to late-night takeaways, nothing that speaks of evenings curled up on the sofa, so that as you close the door for the last time, you can say, it's like I never lived there. How do you know your whole life isn't like that? How do you know that everything you do won't eventually be wiped away in the rhythms of time? We can only build sandcastles. And not just that. 
we're caught on the tides of life. We're caught on the tides of life. Come with me to the start of chapter 3. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to be born and a time to die. Right, we need to stop straight away before we get lulled by the rhythm of the passage, okay? A time to be born and a time to die. What do you notice? Did you choose when you were born? Will you choose when you die? These, those are not things that we choose. Those are not times that we choose. Those are times that come to us, that come upon us, that force themselves upon us. And actually, if you look through the verses, many of the times and seasons here are not times or seasons that we'd ever choose. A time to weep, a time to mourn, a time to give up, a time to throw away, a time to hate, a time for war. The rhythm of the passage itself points us to the reality that our lives march to a drumbeat that is not our own. That our best laid plans and our deepest hopes can be caught up and tossed away in the tides of life. In the words of T.S. Eliot again, do I dare disturb the universe? In a minute there is time for decisions and revisions which a minute will reverse. We're caught on the tides of life. Personally, I taste something of this every time I lose something which, if you ask my wife, would be every day. Every time I lose my watch, or my keys, or my wallet, or a book that I really need, there is a time to search and a time to give up. And I don't want either of those times. I want the time where I didn't lose it in the first place. And as and you, you know, I feel the time slipping away from me, the day, my sense of control, my sense of peace, slipping through my fingers as I dive down the back of sofa cushions and hunt under the sofa and think, well, hang on, which rucksack was I wearing when I went? We're caught in the tides of life. We're caught in the tides of time. And not just in the trivial things like when you lose your keys, but in things where it matters most to us, our relationships. There's a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. There's a time to embrace, a time to build a relationship, a time to open our arms, a time, to a time to, for the joy of intimacy with another, whatever that means. And there is a time to refrain from embracing. A time when relationships end. Maybe, maybe it was you, maybe it was me. A time to mourn, a time to weep, a time when people we love are taken from us, and we do not choose those times. And yet they come upon us. We are caught on the tides of life. We can only build sandcastles. We're caught on the tides of life. And yet we long for more. We're so hungry for meaning. For real meaning in our lives. The kind of meaning that flows from, from knowing that what you're doing and the life you're living actually counts. It matters. It, it, it fits. There's... It, the kind of meaning that comes from thinking, I know that I'm part of something significant, something that, 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 that will last, something that endures. Why are we so hungry for that? Well, look with me at chapter 3, verse 11. Middle, middle of the verse. He, that is God, has also set eternity in the human heart. God has set eternity in the human heart something in us that pulls us beyond and above the ebb and flow of this world. 
that drags us beyond the making and unmaking of life under the sun, that pulls us towards God. The God who gives us eternity. God gives us eternity. Look down with me at verse 14. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. Do you see the contrast? We've seen that that nothing human beings do will endure forever. Nothing. Everything God does endures forever. Everything God does endures forever. All human doing is subject to undoing. All human action is tentative and limited. All decisions and revisions, which a minute will reverse. But when it comes to what God does, well, nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God is the creator not just of space, but of time. He himself is beyond time, having no beginning and no end. And so he himself is not subject to time. He's not under time. He's not vulnerable to change. Instead, he rules over time. And so his works, his plans and purposes for this world are unshakable and unchangeable. Everything God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. And what is God's great work in time, in this world under the sun? Well, here, friends, is the good news. God's great work is rescuing us from empty lies and giving us eternity. God's great work in time is rescuing us from empty lives and giving us eternity. When the set time had fully come, Paul writes in Galatians, God sent his son, born of a woman, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Jesus, the eternal Son of God, took on flesh and entered into our world at a particular time, in a particular place. And at that time and in that place, he did something which transforms human existence at all times and in all places. He died on the cross to rescue us from death. He rose again to everlasting life and he sent his spirit so that we might share in that life, in that joyful eternity, That we might be adopted as sons and daughters of the eternal God if only we would trust in him. If only we would unite our lives to his. That's God's great work in time. A work that split time in two, B.C. and A.D. And his rescue, that work, his welcome into his family, his gift of life will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing can be taken from it. God gives us eternity. So generations come and generations go. But if we give up on trying to carve out meaning for ourselves and come to Christ, we will live forever with him. There is a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. But if we give up on trying to create our own identities and come to Christ, we will always be held in the embrace of the eternal God as a precious son or a precious daughter. 
We can only build sandcastles. God's built us a palace that will last forever. We're caught on the tides of life. God's given us an anchor that will never fail. God gives us eternity. But that doesn't somehow mean that we are lifted out of time. That we kind of end up get, getting this bird's eye view so that we can see everything that God's doing in the world and we're kind of, yeah, we're still placed in time. Chapter 3, verse 11, no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. We don't get to understand it all. But God gives us eternity and we can trust him that everything flows from his loving hand. Everything flows from his loving hand. And so the world, in all of its change, is charged with meaning. In the words of verse 10, everything is beautiful in its time. Think about it like this. If you hear a single musical note... There's not really much there, is there? It's kind of bland, meaningless. But now imagine hearing that same note as part of a soaring melody. Suddenly it's charged with meaning. Suddenly it's, it's beautiful in its time, and more than that, its beauty is in its passingness. It's in that there's a note before and a note after. Everything Every note is beautiful in its time. Not every note is happy. Not all music brings us joy, but all good music means something. This cosmos has a composer, God himself. And so in the music of time, every note means something. Everything is beautiful in its time. We don't get to hear the whole melody from start to end. We, we maybe catch a note or two, maybe a kind of muffled sound as if we're listening through a door, but we trust that there is a composer and everything is beautiful in its time. And so we can receive the times and seasons that are given to us as a gift from God, everything flows from his loving hand. Chapter 3, verse 12, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil, this is the gift of God. Um, I've got a little daughter, Miriam, who's three and a half, um, and she started to go to nursery um, after Easter. And, and so sometimes she comes back from nursery and she hands me over a drawing and says, Daddy, this is for you. And, and that, that's meaningful, right? And it's much more meaningful than you would guess if you looked at the completely illegible scribbles that are on the drawing. Because the meaning isn't in the scribbles, right? It, it, its meaning is that it is a gift. It is that it is an act of love that can only be understood and have its meaning as part of a relationship. Do you see that everything is like that? 
that, that God gives us everything. And so everything we receive, the food and drink and joy and a, the end of a, a good day's work, friends, all of it is a gift. And so its meaning is not just there on the surface, it's beneath as the act of love that it is. Understood as part of that relationship that God has with us, longs for us if only we would receive and open ourselves to him. Everything's a gift. Everything's charged with meaning. Everything flows from his loving hand. We can only build sandcastles. We're caught on the tides of life. But God gives us eternity and everything flows from his loving hand. And that means that wisdom, living well in this world, means rejecting the world's advice to be masters of our fate and captains of our soul. Part of what it is to fear God, verse 14, is to see that we are not those things but rather to fear God as the one who is the master of our fate, who is the captain of our soul. And so we, we, rather than trying to control our lives, we receive the times and seasons that God gives to us. In the words of the novelist E.M. Forster, we must be willing to let go of the life we had planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. We must be willing to let go of the life we had planned so as to have the life that is waiting for us. And that's what God's calling us to in the poem at the start of Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There is a time for this and there is a time for that. Wisdom means trying to ask less the question, what do I want to do now? And instead ask, what is it time for? What is it time for? We haven't got time now to work through line by line that poem, but I'd encourage you to do that this week, to prayerfully read it through and think, what, what times am I in? What are the times and seasons that God has given to me now, and what does it look like for me to live rightly in light of that? Before I close, I'd love to show you just one example of what that might look like. Chapter 3, verse 3 says, There is a time to tear down and a time to build. There is a time to tear down and a time to build. Now, I don't know about you, but when it comes to my life, my projects, my plans, I, I always want it to be time to build. <laughs> right? You don't want it to be time to tear down. But there's a time to build and there's a time to tear down. There's a time to say, I have poured time and energy and effort into this career and it's not what I thought it was going to be and it's dominating my life and I need to get out. It's time to tear it down. There's a time to say, you know, I've built my sense of self-worth on a self-image that I am a really nice person. But actually I realize that if I'm going to seriously do business with the Lord Jesus Christ, if I'm going to grow to be more like him, I've got to tear that down I've got to be honest about how he sees me that he might change me
Those kind of things are very hard to do. Really hard to do. In fact, they're impossible to do if we're looking for ultimate meaning in our career. You're never going to tear it down. If you're looking for ultimate meaning significance in your image of yourself, you're never going to tear it down. Whatever it is, whatever you're looking for ultimate meaning, you're never going to tear it down. But you don't have to look for ultimate meaning there. In fact, we must not look for ultimate meaning there. Because anything we build is a sandcastle. We can only build sandcastles. Any decision we take is a decision that a minute might reverse. We are caught on the tides of life. But everything God does endures forever. Nothing can be taken from it and nothing can be added to it. God gives us eternity. And everything flows from his loving hand. Everything. Everything is beautiful in its time. Everything is charged with meaning. The world is charged with the grandeur of God. It will flame out like shining from shook foil. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, it is such good news that your works endure forever. Thank you that your great work of redemption in the Lord Jesus Christ stands forever. Nothing will be added to it and nothing can be taken from it. Thank you that as we find ourselves in him and build our lives on him, by your spirit, you can open our eyes to see the world as it truly is, charged with meaning, everything a gift from you, everything beautiful in its time. Lord, open our eyes. That we might see the joy set before us. In Jesus' name, amen.